0: Today as well. Getting your steps in, Kay.
1: (laughs) The fire causes water to boil to make your, your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ears have perceived, no eyes have seen any God besides you, who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you and your ways but you were angry and we we sinned because you hid yourself we transgressed we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth we all fade like a leaf and our inequities like the wind take us away there is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take a hold of you For you have hidden your face from us, and we have delivered us into the hands of your inequity. Yet, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember inequity forever. Now consider we are are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our ancestors praised you, has been burned by fire, and all our pleasant places have been, become ruins. After all this, will you restrain yourself, O Lord? Will you keep silent and punish us so severely?
0: Thank you, Kay. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, as we've mentioned already a couple times, this is the first season, or this is the first Sunday, rather, in the season of Advent. Advent is a time of waiting. It's really a season of waiting. Maybe You don't really know or remember what Advent is about, but it's waiting with anticipation and expectation of what Jesus will bring. So specifically, we oftentimes more traditionally talk about the characteristics or the qualities that Jesus will bring into our lives of hope, Joy, peace, and love. And so we wait for those traits, those qualities, those fruits of Jesus' presence in our life to come into our life anew. I wonder as we begin today, what are you waiting for as we begin Advent? What are you waiting for in your life? What situation? What outcome? What are you waiting for Jesus to do in your life? Are you waiting for healing to come? Are you waiting for a breakthrough? Are you waiting for somebody else to change? Are you waiting for things to turn around in some particular area of your life? See, if we think about what we're waiting for, it really reveals what our hopes are, what we hope will happen. When this happens, when this particular outcome happens, then I'll be, what, maybe happy. Then I'll feel peace. Then I'll feel joy. Then I'll feel less overwhelmed in my life. When this specific thing, I'm hoping that you can think of something. When this specific thing or this specific person or this specific scenario changes, then things will be better. Oftentimes, it's when the kids go to bed. or when we find that new employee that we just need so badly, or when we get more people in church, or when my loved one turns their health around, we can reveal the things that we're really hoping for if we think about what are we waiting for? And what are we we hoping will happen? There are some real extremes in this of thinking about what our hopes are in, and one that I've been really inspired by is a, a military example. A guy named James Stockdale, a Navy pilot during the Vietnam War, was shot down in, let me get this date right, I know some people listen closely, 1965, he was shot down over North Vietnam and was taken prisoner. And was a POW for eight years. Can you imagine that? Eight years of torture and isolation, of malnutrition, of all kinds of just uh, psychological abuse. I can't imagine that. What was fascinating to me what inspires me about James Stockdale is that he, he recognized, probably after a given amount of time, that what, the people that weren't going to make it were the ones who had hope in a particular outcome. For example, they had hoped that they would be freed maybe uh, in a couple days, that their government would intervene somehow in some way because they believed that our government had the power to do that, and that maybe by next week, they would be freed and then that wouldn't happen and then they'd say well maybe next month things will all be freed and get home and everything will be okay I, I hope that that will happen and then it wouldn't happen and then they'd say well maybe by Christmas we'll be freed and their hopes again unfulfilled and dashed maybe by, maybe in a year we'll be freed and time after time it didn't happen and those are the ones who didn't make it those who had hoped for something specific and that's just dire circumstance didn't make it but what's amazing about James Stockdale is that he always believed that he would be freed he never gave up hope he had what was called a relentless optimism that his government who had the power would somehow some way find a way to uh, assure his freedom but then he changed his focus He decided instead of trying to pretend that it wasn't as awful as it was or perhaps that he could spend 10 years in captivity, he decided to face the brutal facts of his situation and to name them. And then he decided within his heart that he would turn this event into the defining moment of his life, that he would say, this situation that I'm in right now is going to define the rest of my life in a positive way. In his own words, he said, I never doubted that I would get out but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the events into the defining moment of my life. See, friends, he placed hope not in a specific outcome, but rather in his own perseverance and the power of his government. And after eight years, they did sit down and negotiate for his release and many other POWs at the time. So his hope was not unfounded, but it was maybe a little different than those who had placed the hope in, in some particular outcome that would come at a, a time that was more suitable to them, of course, because they're uh, bearing something that I, I just can't even wrap my head around what that must have been like. Friends, one of the most important and fundamental truths of Christianity is that we are captive to sin. Does that make sense? We're captive to sin, and we are powerless in our, to we are powerless on our own to be freed from it. So we are similar to James Stockdale being held prisoner and we are powerless to free ourselves just like he was powerless to free himself in a very similar way except what I'm talking about is a spiritual reality that we're born into. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. It just means that this is the reality of our life that we are sinful by nature as humans and we're captive to those sinful desires we are held by its power we read about this in the in the text that k read Uh, this is the word iniquities we don't use that word but that's sin we have all become unclean like uh, and our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth we all fade like a leaf we you know we don't have as much power as we think we do do we I mean, when something dramatic changes in your life or suddenly you lose your autonomy, maybe because of some health issue, you realize that very quickly, don't you? Yeah, I'm not as powerful as I think most of the time. I don't have as much control over my life, do I? And then here's the line. And our iniquities, our sins, carry us away like the wind. wind. Take us away. They carry us away. And the more, friends, that we try to to free ourselves from captivity, from this powerlessness, and pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, by our own power, and take control of our life, the more we actually end up sinning. (laughs) And the more we get annoyed or maybe even resentful or judgmental towards other people who aren't doing the things that we believe to be right. See, friends, we are in captivity to our sin. The more we try to uh, have hope based on our human strength, the more we will be disappointed or we'll sin even more. And so during Advent, we emphasize the reality that the light of Christ, candles, right? This is a significance. The light of Christ comes from a place of power to break us out of captivity, to set us free, and in the person of Jesus Christ, to give us a person to hope in. A person who won't let us down. See, this is similar to Stockdale who never gave up hope that his government would intervene. They had the power and they would one day free him. But it might look different than what I'm expecting. And in a much more significant and powerful way, in Advent, we are saying we hope in Christ. We believe that He has the power to free us and me, even more significantly, me from my sin. And I have to wait for that to happen sometimes. And there are some things that we can do. We we read this. This is what we talk about in uh, Luke 1, verse 68. This is a prophecy by Zechariah. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has looked favorably on His people. God has looked upon His people who are held captive by sin and redeemed them. He has redeemed them. Well, now, redeem is not something, a word that we use very often. Or maybe we use it in a different way. Most people think of redeem as a, a good deal. You redeem a coupon. is not at all what we're talking about. Maybe kind of, but to redeem is to buy back, to negotiate for freedom at a price. A price has to be paid to restore what's been broken, to make whole. In in order to redeem, the person has to actually have the power to pay the price, like the government had to pay a price for James Stockdale's release. Makes sense, right? You have to have the power in order to redeem it. Just like, okay, we can use the coupon example. The person who issues the coupon has to have the power to give you that deal. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. I can't just give Todd a coupon for Old Navy and say, here you go, Todd, redeem it if you want. (laughs) Makes no sense, right? Only God has the power to free us from our captivity to sin. This is the essence of our Christian faith. This is what it's talking about. Only God has the power to free us from captivity to sin. And the good news is that God sends Jesus to do exactly that. To be the light in a dark Eventually to pay the price for our freedom to communicate by His actions, first of all, of sending Jesus, of saying, I'm coming to you because you can't free yourself. I'm coming to you. And that communicates to us God's love and mercy, does it not? God's compassionate posture towards us. And God sends Jesus to us to give us a reason to hope. There are plenty of reasons to lose hope today, aren't there? I mean, if we're honest if we face the brutal facts of everything that's happening right now, if we just face them and say it's not looking good, a natural result of that is to lose hope. And that's actually why sometimes then we lose ourselves in distraction, which busyness over busyness is a distraction and a sort of if I just stay busy, I'll let other people focus on that situation or maybe things will get better. Or we can easily fall into numbing ourselves in some way or another. You know, alcohol and drugs are the obvious ways, but we numb ourselves all the time when we scroll endlessly or watch, you know, binge watch shows or something. It's a numbing because things are really crazy right now. And you didn't need me to tell you that today to believe it is true, right? Hey Amen? Can I get a few nods this morning, please? Like, you know it's true. And so what happens is then we start to lose hope. And we can't live without hope. We can't just say, well, if this, only hap- if this happens, then I'll start to have hope again. No, we have to find hope to survive. That's why this, this example with James Stockdale is so powerful because the ones who didn't have hope didn't make it. We have to have hope. There are plenty of reasons to not have hope. All of these specific outcomes And that's similar to the Old Testament text that we read today. Sometimes it's hard to understand. Gosh, how does that relate to today? It's pretty bleak. You know, I read it on Wednesday night, and afterwards I said, "You know, the word of the Lord." Thanks be to God. Hard to say thanks be to God when you read an Old Testament prophecy. Just saying, it's (laughs) it's pretty intense. (laughs) But the but the context of this prophecy is post uh, post destruction of Jerusalem. And post-exile to Babylon, and so the people, God's people, the Israelites, come back to Jerusalem, and they're looking around and saying, "Okay, we're free now. God has done that for us. Uh, But now, what's going to (laughs) happen? Everything is destroyed. Where do we start? How do we start over? Where, you know, how do we build?" And so there's kind of a brutal honesty here to face the facts after captivity and say, "You know, this is really bad." right now and even some Israelites from everything that they had been through and their ancestors had been through they say gosh can we really trust God I mean look at everything that's happened and they lost their faith and hardened their hearts which means you just close yourself off from from God of what God might be doing in your life and say you know I'm just gonna go at it on my own because I hoped in God before and look at how that turned out which I don't doubt any you know I don't blame any of the Israelites for believing that. And yet here's what we read in, in part of this text yet O Lord you are our father. There's still an acknowledgment. Yes, things are bad. Yes, things didn't turn out the way that we had hoped. We're, we really don't know where to turn and yes we are still captive. And yet, O Lord, You are our Father, and we are the clay, and You are our potter, and we are all the work of Your hand. This is God's redeeming grace, that things are never as they should be in this world and in this life. Do we believe that? I mean, we can look all the way back to the beginning of history and see that, yeah, something has been wrong all along. And despite all of our advances in awareness and knowledge and information and technology, have you ever noticed this? That despite all those advances and in healthcare and in all areas and, and stuff like mental health, which I've benefited from, counselors and all this equipping of people, we have just surpassed our ancestors' wildest dreams in all these areas, and yet... It won't take you long today to be reminded of humanity's sinful nature, right? All you have to do is turn on the TV and you'll find, a, you'll find an example of our fallenness in probably about five minutes, depending on what channel you turn it on. We are, we are always going to be in a world where God's kingdom has not fully been realized, where things are not as they should be. Until that future day that we do have hope in, when Jesus will return and restore all things and bring the new creation. That's our ultimate hope. But in the meantime, this is the good news. This is the best part of the good news, in my opinion, is that God's redeeming grace is working in your life. What does that mean? It means that today you might do something that you don't feel good about. You might say something. I'll probably say something stupid. You know, <laughs> That's, you know, or I'll be short with my kids or I'll neglect something that maybe I should have done or whatever. And I might feel bad about that. But God's grace continues to work in my life and will bring newness out of that. Will bring some kind of restored reality out of that. And so I think about it often because there are many times in my life I have a lot of regret for. And if I'm not careful, I can get sucked into that time of saying, you know, if I would have done this different or if I would have done that different, then I wouldn't have to feel the shame that I feel now or the guilt that I feel now if only things could have been different. And just for me personally, recovery, being a part of the Al-Anon program has helped me tremendously. But you know what it's helped me to do? This is something that we can all do. is just to name the brutal facts. To, to maybe put it down on pen and paper of, What is it that is causing me to feel this shame and guilt? What is it that's causing regret in my life? What is it that I'm feeling powerless over? What is it that I need to somehow give to God? That's something that we can all participate in. And once we do, once we start moving in that direction, God's redeeming grace can come into our lives. And I look at my life and say, well, God's ability to redeem, to free me from the power of sin and then make something new out of my life is abundantly clear. And the only thing getting in the way of living into that reality of being a new person in Christ is up here. <laughs> of just not believing it to be true. Of getting caught in those old traps. Of walking back into captivity rather than walking in, in freedom with Jesus. Letting His love and grace just pour into my heart. This is God's redeeming grace. This is what we can hope in. That God's grace is always working. That God is working in our lives even now. Not just for a future outcome, but God is working in our lives now. And any difficulty can become a testimony. This is what God did. This is what I was going through. This is what I was experiencing. And this is what God did. This is how God showed up in my life during that difficulty. Not in spite of it, friends. Never in spite of it. But because of it. This is our testimony. And like Stockdale, this is how we can turn those struggles in our lives, even the hardest ones, into the defining events of our lives. Because what is more important in life being able to say this is what jesus did in my life and i know it to be true could there be anything more important than that i would rather talk about what jesus did in my life than what cool new van i got had to be here last week if you don't know (laughs) you know i would much rather talk about how god's grace worked in my life and give hope to somebody else than to talk about anything else any of my successes any of my joys any of those things because My willingness to share, and this is the same for you, no matter how old you are, our willingness to share what Christ did for us can be the steps that can set someone else free. And if we don't share, and if we don't tap into God's redeeming grace in our life, then others will stay in captivity. It's not just about us getting out and saying, woohoo, look at me, I'm free. No, it's about going back in. And saying, I'm going to try and free others who are in captivity now. In 12-step programs, that's step 12. That's sharing now what you've gone through for the sake of others. A lot of people in 12-step groups say, I'm done with that. I just want to get on with my life. Like, you're missing it. That's the point. Is that then you offer freedom to someone else. And it's the exact same in our Christian faith. Christ sets us free so that then we can lead others into freedom. And to not do that last part is to just say, woohoo, I'm free. Sorry, you could try and figure it out if you want. Here's the Bible. You know, we have to lead people out of captivity as we find freedom for ourselves. So then we place our hope, not in any particular outcome, but in God's grace working within us and the future victory of Christ coming and making all things new and saving us in the most powerful and unimaginable way. This is a type of optimism, a type of relentless optimism that isn't passive. It's not just sitting and waiting for someone else to do something, which is so tempting today. Isolation is becoming a huge problem. And within churches, people are just letting their grips off the wheel because they're just like, well, I don't know what to do, so we'll, we'll let other people. I'm not talking about our church specifically, but just everyone is just kind of letting their hands off the wheel and saying, well, hopefully things will work out. No, it's not a passive optimism. It's an active optimism of facing the truth and deciding how we're going to respond. That's what James Stockdale did. He decided that the battleground was up here. Actually, there's a sign. Now, use this as reinforcement for this truth today. There's a, there's a billboard for the Marines as you come into Lake Crystal. It says the, the battle, the victory is won in your, in your mind. Something like that. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. And that, that's this equation here as well. This guy's very similar to James Stockdale was um, Victor Frankl, who was instead in a uh, concentration camp uh, held in captivity by... The Nazis. And he also noticed a similar tendency that the ones who had hoped to be freed for a particular outcome uh, wouldn't make it. And he decided, just like James Stockdale, it's amazing, he decided that that would become the defining time in his life and he would help a lot of people. He would lead others out of captivity, right? And he survived, they were freed, and he did. He became a world-renowned psychologist. And he came up with this simple uh, formula E plus R equals G. You know, my daughter's in first grade, and she's like, that's that's weird. That, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like it's a little above your head, sweetie. Event plus response equals growth. So the aim of our faith is to grow in Christ likeness, to recognize and live into God's grace working within our lives in any circumstance. So literally, any event, any event can be turned into an opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness if we respond with, simply stated, faith. But an active faith, not a passive faith, an active faith of facing the brutal facts of saying, this is nasty, this is really hard, this feels hopeless. So what do I need to do to cultivate hope? And there's, so there's all sorts of things that we can do in here to respond with faith. And every time that we do, we will grow. We'll have a deeper sense of faith. If it's anything particularly happening with us, we will, we will walk with more freedom in our lives as we lean on God's grace and power. And so here's some things that we can do to, this is what I would say is, to cultivate hope. We wait for hope, yes, but we cultivate it we generate hope in our lives right now by some of these doing some of these things one remembering who god is and how do we do that coming to worship for sure this worship experience is probably the most important thing that you can commit to as christians come to worship hear the word proclaimed not just what i say about the word you see Like, just me talking is not a worship experience. I wish it was, but (laughs) it's not. Also, uh, remembering His promises. Remembering what He's done in your life. So that's an active experience of reading the Bible or remembering. I journal to remember what God has done. Maybe you have different ways of doing that. But I look back at my old journals and say, wow, a year ago? Are you kidding me? That's where I was at a year ago? Five years ago? Twelve years ago? are you kidding me remember what God has done number two learn to recognize God's presence and action in your life I call this with the with the conformance a tuning in most people here today remember the radios where you actually had to turn the dial and there's that little thing that moves out it's probably like magnetic you know and if you were really precise with it sometimes you could get a station that you had no business getting that that's what that's what we're doing We're trying to tune in to the Holy Spirit. And it takes that kind of precision in our lives. That's why I talk about taking ownership of your thought life and of your schedule and your calendar and all that. Take ownership of it. Don't let an algorithm do it for you. Okay? Tune in to God's presence in action in your life. And so there are some practices that help. Prayer, of course, helps tremendously. Sometimes when I sit in centering prayer, I just say, Lord, I'd like to sit here forever because it just I, I can feel God's goodness and grace. Uh, journaling is one that I think is essential. Honestly, if you want to just really slow your brain down and start to recognize what God is doing in your life, journaling is essential. And here's some things that you can journal about. Start with gratitude, right? Just start with focusing in on what's good. What am I grateful for? And if you, if you really think it out, you could probably have ten things here. But try and do all these in about ten minutes. Otherwise, you won't commit to it. Amen? <laughs> what am I grateful for? What do I need to accept and let go of? We put so much time and energy into trying to change things that we absolutely cannot change. The past, the future, other people. Right? We've talked about that before. Write it out. Sometimes after I just write it out, it, I feel so much better. Commit. What are the things I can do today? I would say most importantly to cultivate hope. What do I need to do? The other day I said I've got a lot on my plate right now, but what I need to do is sit with God in silent prayer for 20 minutes. I need to read more Scripture. And I need to journal this practice. And that's what I did. It felt terribly unproductive to make that choice. But I left that time with peace and hope. Commit to whatever it is that you can do that you must do today. And sometimes that can be practical things. I need to get this paper done if you're in school. I need, you know, I need to get this project done at work. And then write out a prayer. Just write it out or say it in your heart and mind. Lord, thank You for the gift. All these gifts that You've given me Help me to accept these things that are out of my control. Give me courage and a a commitment, a willingness to commit to the things that I know I need to do today and help me to see what you're doing within that space. This is how we cultivate hope. And we can do other things like sharing in small group and hearing the stories of what God is doing in the lives of other people because it's not always so clear uh, from a week to week basis. Most of the time it's not. And stillness and slowing down, that's practicing those spiritual exercises can help tremendously. That's what I was talking about from the other day. Friends, our hope is in Jesus. That's our hope. He has the power. He has the strength. He has the compassion to forgive our sins every time and to set us free. He is our hope. Come what may. And we can cultivate hope for today by fixing our eyes on Jesus while we wait. Amen. Just get really excited and I end up going a lot longer than I was going to. I just get excited, you guys. (laughs) Let's, Let's take this time to pray.